But that's not what I feel today. In fact, I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I, tonight, I just feel like having an old fashioned one thought minus two. And uh, I guess I got stirred up Sunday night. I don't know what's happening, just something stirring in me. And I can tell you, I've ever, I've ever wanted to be too long between times that you hear it declared from this book that there is only one God. I want it to be frequent. I want it to be often. I want it to be sure. I don't want there to be any question in anybody's mind that what we believe concerning the God. God forbid that you would set on you at New Life Pentecostal Church very long without hearing somebody declare that there's only one God. Well, hallelujah. It is the message that separates us from everybody else. It is the message that separates us from everybody else. It is what makes us unique. There are other groups that preach holiness. You do know about that, don't you? There are other groups that preach modesty. In fact, Muslims preach modesty. Uh, there are other groups that preach speaking in tongues. But what sets us apart from everybody else is the fact that we have been true to the message that has always been, and that is that there's only one God. Amen. That was the message that separated Abraham. It's what, it's what made him leave from a family of pagans and walk away and leave them behind. You know why they didn't follow? Because they didn't believe in one God. Well, hallelujah. And so from, from that time, until this, the message of oneness of the Godhead has been the, the line of delineation. It has been the line of demarcation. It has been the line of separation. Well, hallelujah. And let us ever love this message. Well, praise God. I'm going to tell you something. One thing I've learned through my years of pastoring, and I know you're standing, one thing I've learned and I've seen and I've watched, and I've been preaching now for 40 years, 40 years, this month, 40 years since I preached my first message. That's a long time. That's a long time. And I'm going to tell you what I've learned. If you want Pentecostals to shout, get up and preach about how we got the devil defeated. They'll run the aisles, they'll scream, they'll whoop and holler because we got the devil defeated. But you better never be more excited about a message concerning the devil.
that you heard our message concerning the one God who's greater than the man. In fact, there are many devils, but there's only one God. And he is more powerful than all of them. So, turn with me to first Timothy chapter. When I say Bible study, I mean Bible study. I don't mean a sermon. I mean a Bible study. We're going to explore one verse of scripture tonight. We're going to spend the entire night tonight studying one verse of scripture. That doesn't mean that's the only verse we're going to use. But it is the verse we're going to look at. First Timothy chapter 3. We'll start with verse number 14. And then read down through the verse that I want to focus on tonight. First Timothy 3, then with verse 14. These things might I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy. I'm going to say without controversy. Without controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was. I want to say God was. Now look, this is the subject and verb for the rest of this sentence. Alright? This is the subject and verb. God was. And everything else that follows after that is linked to the subject. Was the linking verb. Not here to give you a grammar lesson. But was is a linking verb, and it links to whatever follows. Alright? And so, God is the subject here. Was the linking verb. Whatever else is said refers back to God. God was. I want to say that again. God was. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. God was. God was. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. I don't know. I don't know of a greater verse to explain the message of the Godhead. First Timothy 3.16. God was. God was. Manifested. Justified. Seen of angels. Preached unto the Gentiles. Believed God in the world and received up into glory. Praise God. Amen. So I'm going to, I'm just going to do some teaching tonight. I'm going to give it this title, Without Controversy. 
without controversy. Amen. Let's put our Bibles down. Let's talk to the Lord, everybody. Let's ask God to speak to us tonight. Hallelujah. I just believe there are some folks that are listening to me tonight that don't have a revelation of the oneness of the Godhead. I want God to grant revelation tonight. I want God to grant revelation tonight. I said, I want God to grant revelation tonight. Let's talk to you together right now, church. Everybody, let's give our voices to the Lord right now. Jesus, I need you. God, I'm asking you to help me tonight. Lord Jesus, I pray that somehow it would be more than just the words of a man. It would be more than just my explanation. God, more than my Timothy 3.16, but that's not the inspired rendition. 
Nowhere in the entire 66 books of the Bible is there any hint of a three-person Godhead. Sunday nights what stirred me up. Sunday nights is not the only thing that stirred me up, but I have a little exchange with a college student this week, and, and he's he's raised in a you know, oneness home, attends the one God church, but but he said that one of his instructors, he quoted Deuteronomy 6 and 4 to his instructor, and uh, you know, Israel, the Lord our God is the Lord, and his instructor said, Well, that word one there in the Hebrew really means a cluster. Doesn't mean just one number, it means a cluster. And I know where they're coming from. There is one place uh, where, where the, the spies come back from Canaan and it says they carry uh, the, 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 the word is the, the Hebrew word for one grain back and, and, and the reference there is to a cluster. So they take that and say that wherever this word appears, you have to understand it doesn't mean just singular one, it means a cluster. And then he said, this is what he tells me, so how do I respond? I said, really, it's a very simple response. The Jews quote Deuteronomy 6 and 4 at least twice a day. First thing in the morning, last thing in the evening. And the Jews, for thousands of years that they've been quoting this verse, have never believed that they were saying, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is a cluster of gods. They never understood that word they could to mean anything but one. Just one. The number one. Singular. Only one. It's their language. They all know what it means. The hallelujah. And when they quote here in Israel, the Lord our God is one word they mean exactly that. He's only one. He's not three, he's not two, he's not a cluster, he's not a committee, he's not a split personality, he's one! The hallelujah. So, I got off that, but it's just explaining that this, this has just been eating at me all week this week. So you get to eat on it now for a while. It's done. Hallelujah. Amen. The word of mystery, again, without controversy, great is the mystery of God. So we'll come back and talk about that without controversy in just a few moments. But, but, but follow with me here. The mystery, the word mystery, means that which has been hidden or concealed. All right? Something that that at one time was unknown. And so the mystery of godliness, the mystery of godliness is this, that God was manifest in the flesh. Colossians 1.26 Even the mystery mystery, which has been hid from ages ages and from generations is a mystery. Yeah. Yeah. How could a dog that the head of the head of the head 
himself in the whole human body and fit himself in the womb of a woman. That's a mystery. And it is a great mystery. But he did it. The word godliness here, by the way, is uh, as it's used in this verse, it speaks of the of, of that uh, the basis upon which we establish our reverence and our respect for God. And, and, and he, and that's important, the mystery of godliness. He's not talking about holiness here, but the term godliness. I don't want to avoid a lot of Greek language, but just follow with me. But the word godliness, as it appears here, is not talking about holiness. It's not talking about separation, but it's talking about the entire theme of all that we believe. And the apostles are about to tell us what is the theme, what is the foundation of everything that we believe in. This is what it is. That God was manifest in the flesh. That's it, church. Everything else we believe is built on that simple truth. Why do we baptize in Jesus' name? Because there's only one God. Well, hallelujah. Yes, sir. Why do you have to have the Holy Ghost? You ever thought about that? See, for a Trinitarian, the Holy Ghost is a separate person. So you can have God living on the inside and not have the Holy Ghost. But we preach you have to have the Holy Ghost to be saved. Why? Because there's only one God. And if you don't have the Holy Ghost, you don't have God. I'm telling you, everything we believe is built on this foundation. Right. Of course, this coincides perfectly with John's writings in John 1 and 1. Got that one? John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Now, let's talk about this for a minute. Who is God? Well, ask the Trinitarian who is God. Now, we get a couple of different answers. You just walk up to them and say, tell me, who is your God? They might say, the Trinity. Okay? If the Trinity is your God, then let's go back and read this verse again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, with the Trinity, and the Word was the Trinity. But they're probably going to write that. So let's try again. They'll probably tell you at that point, well, here God means the Father, okay? Then let's read it again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with the Father, and the Word was... The Father. I don't care how you put it, my friend. This verse says it all. The Word, the Word was God. And who is the Word? What does verse 14 say? And the Word was made flesh. The Word was made flesh. Dwelt and dwelt among us. And we held His glory. Lord, the glory as the only begotten of the Father. Full of Who is the way? It's Jesus Christ. And we understand in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word 
Logos. It, or it is Logos. And, and Logos, it can be translated word. That's, that's accurate. But, but there is another Greek word, rhema, which, which is the spoken word. Uh, when you say a word, uh, that's rhema. But Logos is more than just a simple word. Logos is an entire plan. It's, it's, it's a blueprint. It's a pattern. And, and I love to translate it as plan. I think that's the best way to understand John 1 and 1. Because here's what it says. When you understand word, Logos is plan. Here's what you find. In the beginning was the plan. So he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, right? In the beginning, I said this the other day, God wasn't surprised when Adam fell. God wasn't caught off guard by any of that. In the beginning, God had a plan. In the beginning was the plan. And the plan was with God. And the plan was... God said, how am I going to save mankind? I've got to save mankind. There's only one way to do it. I'm not going to look around heaven and find somebody else to go down through the dirt road. I've got a plan. And my plan is, I'm going myself. In the beginning was the plan. And the plan was with God. And the plan was God. That's the plan. The plan is, I'm going to come down there. I'm going to do it. I'm going, I'm going to take on flesh. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to give my life as a ransom for humanity. The plan was God. I said, ask the Trinitarian who God is. And then you get usually a couple of it. They'll tell you the truth, or they'll tell you the Father. They might say, well, God the Father, God the Son. Why don't we ask Jesus who God is and just take his answer? I mean, doesn't that make sense? Do you think if there's anybody who has ever known who God was, it would be Jesus? Can we agree on that fact? Well, well Jesus tell us. Who is God? John 4 and 24, Jesus answers. God is a spirit. There you go. There's the answer. Now, I'm going to tell you something, and let's settle this once and for all. If God was a trinity, Jesus should have said so right here. He should have just said, God is three persons. But he didn't. He said, God is a You understand the way? You understand that word a is singular. It means there's only one. And God, who is God? Jesus tells us, who is God? I'll tell you who God is. God is a spirit. That's who he is. He's not three persons. He's a spirit. That's who he is. And so if we're going to understand anything about God, we've got to quit trying to make God into persons. God's not three persons. In fact, God, to be technical, God is not a person. God is a spirit. That's who God is. So in the beginning was the word, the plan, 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with the Spirit, and the Word was the Spirit. In the beginning, the Word was the Spirit. Well, hallelujah. Not a separate person from the Father. He was the Spirit. By definition. So, so since we see this Word, Spirit, God, Spirit, we see that God is a Spirit. These, these, these terms are interchangeable. Then let's go on and look at that verse 14 again in, in John 1. So it said, and the, the Spirit, the Word was the Spirit, right? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with the Spirit. The Word was the Spirit. We're talking about Jesus' definition of God. Are you with me? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with the Spirit, and the Word was the Spirit. So verse 14 says, and the word or spirit was made flesh. There it is, folks. That's what happened. The spirit became flesh. In fact, that's what, let's, let's go back, look at our text again. First Timothy 3.16, that's exactly what says here. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Uh -huh. God was manifest in the flesh. I can stop right there. We'll take this. God was what? Manifest in the flesh. He was manifest. I will say manifest. The word manifest means to make visible or known that which was hidden or unknown. To manifest, whether by words, deeds, or any other way, to make actual and visible, to cause to become realized. Now, Dr. Albert Barnes, in his Barnes notes, says that the word, the Greek word here, literally means to appear. God appeared in flesh. Is that clear? I mean, it doesn't get much simpler than that, does it? God appeared in flesh. Not a third of God. Not a part of God. But God, who has been invisible, who has, who has been omnipresent, now all of a sudden appears. In flesh. And so the invisible spirit made himself known and visible in the person of Jesus Christ. Alright, what's the next thing that the verse tells us? God was manifest in the flesh. Justified in the spirit. He was justified in the spirit. Right? Justified in the spirit. Now, again, the subject doesn't change. The subject is God. The subject is God. Doesn't change. God was justified in the spirit. The word justified means to proclaim, 
to affirm, to guarantee, to be good and true. So, with regard to the phrase, the spirit, he was justified in the spirit. Dr. Barnes says it's evident this refers to the Holy Spirit. In other words, when the Bible says that he was justified in the Spirit, what it's saying is that he was, uh, that, that the Holy Ghost attested to the fact that Christ was who he claimed he was. Yeah. Right. And that's what Acts 2 and 22 tells us. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. Our command what? Are you looking at the verse? Command what? Approved. A man approved of you, of God, among you. The word approved, you ready for this? The word approved literally means to show off. It means to exhibit, to demonstrate, to accredit. The man, I, I dealt sometime back up with a man who had gone off with false doctrine, did not believe that Jesus was God at all. And he said, his claim was, that we won this Pentecostal as much as we love Acts chapter 2, he never heard any of us ever preach from verse 22. We just skip right over that. So I want him to know and everybody else to know I'm preaching from Acts 2 22. Now, here's what he says the reason we don't want to preach from it is because it calls him a man. I don't have a problem with that. He was a man. But he wasn't just a man. He was a man that had been approved by the Spirit, that had been accredited by the Spirit. What? Accredited for what? Proven to be what? Shown to be what? More than a man. More than a prophet. More than a good teacher. Oh, hallelujah. You know what it was? The Spirit was proving that it was. And I'll tell you, when he died and walked on the water, no man could do that. The Bible says God alone treads on the waves of the sea. So when the Spirit of enabled this man to walk on the waves, are you getting this tonight? When the Spirit empowered this flesh to walk the sea of Galilee, what God was doing was saying, let me show this off. This is not of the man. This is not the son of Joseph. This is God in good faith. He's proven by the Spirit the things that he did. He not only healed, in fact, he even questioned him. He said, which is easier for me to do? To heal a man and say, your sins are forgiven. See, for God, is, you know, it doesn't matter. He can, heal, he can heal the physical disease or he can heal the spiritual disease. It's all one if you're God. Prophets of old perform miracles. Prophets of old cured leprosy. 
prophets of old raised the dead, but they never forgave sin. Jesus did. And how could he do that? Because the Spirit was showing off. Because God was making a public proclamation to the world. Don't look at this as just a man. I know it's flesh and blood. I know he's got bones. I know he's got a voice and hair. He looks like a man. But this is not just a man. There's something more about him. God was attesting to the world. This is God manifested in the flesh. I've come to you. I'm here. And then, what's next? He was manifest in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit. He was seen of angels. Seen of angels. Now, again, I, I, I'm, I try to be cautious in calling into question the translation of the King James Bible. Because I don't want you to lose your faith in that book that we trust. I still believe King James is the most accurate, the most reliable English translation. Not ready to amend. However, there are times when I think Trinitarians hired by King James to translate the Bible could not comprehend some things. Seen of angels. There is a better way, in my opinion, to translate this, and it's, it's accurate. Want to take the time to study Greek? Find out. Have that. Go to college somewhere. Set it up. No problem. But I think a better translation is seen to by angels, or attended to by angels. In other words, what Paul is saying here is, God, the subject is God. God was attended to by the angels. Now we know this happened, didn't we? Don't we? Matthew chapter 4 verse 11. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. The angels came and attended to him. It had been prophesied that this would happen. In fact, the devil used this and, and, and said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 6. And saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt Thou dash thy foot against the stone. Now, the devil's good was quoting from Psalms, and we've got this verse down here, Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. For he shall give his angels charge over thee, to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against the stone. All right, so, so here, this was the prophecy that was made hundreds of years before Christ ever came. The prophecy was the angels will attend to him. And that happened. It was God's testimony. It was God's way of showing the world who he was. All right? So, 
God was manifest in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit. He was seen of angels. What's the next thing? Preached unto the Gentiles. Preached unto the Gentiles. The word preached means to publicly proclaim or to be heralded. To be publicly proclaimed or heralded. Now, now look at this. Uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 15. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Now, the Lord said to Ananias, Go ahead. Ananias is afraid. He's heard these stories about Paul, Saul, at that time. He's heard these stories about Saul, Tarsus, Saul, and Kevin And the Lord says, Why don't you go? Preach to him. Ananias says, No, no. No, no. No, I, I'm sorry. Um, I've heard about what he does to his kids. And I'm kind of happy that we're here on the earth right I want to go to heaven, not today. And the Lord says, Go my way, for Saul is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles. 1 Timothy 3.16 said that God was preached unto the Gentiles. The Lord speaks from heaven and says, He's going to bear my name to the Gentiles. Now, who is this Lord that's speaking? Acts 9, verse 5. And he said, Who, the, who art thou, Lord? Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, the Lord said I am Jesus. He didn't say, I'm the second person in the Godhead. Right. Right. I am Jesus. That's who the Lord is. And who is it that's being preached to the Gentiles? Jesus is being preached to the Gentiles. But Paul said it was God. Well, hallelujah. Not a second person. God. So he was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, and next, believed on in the world. Believed on. God was. God was. Not God the Son was. But God was. So who is it that, I mean, I mean to me, this, you know, these Trinitarians that, that they, they struggle with this concept, and yet when it talks about believing on someone, I mean, surely they get this. What is their favorite verse to quote? John 3.16. For God so loved the world, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Only begotten son. And that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. Yeah, boom. Boom. Jesus, the Son. Right? I mean, that's, this is what they tell us. You don't believe in the Son. But Paul said, it is God that is believed on in the world. Not the person. God the Spirit. Now, let me just tell you this. The word believe here, what we're doing in Bible study, the word believe does not mean to make mental consent. 
doesn't mean that you just accept something as a true principle. But the word pistos, the word believe here, is, is it, it, it means to have such a compelling conviction that you're forced into obedience. You don't believe biblically until you obey. Oh, I believe Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. Great, wonderful. That's not enough. You gotta do something about it. You gotta obey that. You know, in the old story, we told oh, oh, man the will, we should build our apostle, go from Happy Falls. We'll take this to makes his way across. Crowd falls. And they stop and says, I don't even believe I put up man. And they push the man across this road and the man not fall. Hands put up there. He says, okay, who wants to get in? <laughs> Don't tell me you believe it if you don't act on it. And I'm telling you, that's that's the problem with Christianity today. They've all got their hand raised. I believe Jesus is Lord, but they know in the wheelbarrow. They're not doing anything about it. Listen, you gotta do more than believe that he died. You gotta obey his death. You have to learn and believe that he was buried. You gotta obey his burial. You have to learn and believe that he rose again. You gotta obey his resurrection. How do you do that? I'm glad you asked. You obey his death by dying yourself in an altar. That's called repentance. You die to the old man. You ask God to forgive you. You change your ways. You go about living a different life. You die to what you once were. That's obeying the death. You walk into you uh, speak back there. It'll take me a while. You walk into the water and pray and you bury that old man. Going down in the name of Jesus. That's how you obey the burial. And you raise your hands. And you let God fill you with the Holy Ghost. And you speak in other tongues. And that's how you obey the resurrection. Jesus didn't say if you're loving, hang a cross around your neck. He didn't say if you're loving, put a fish on your truck. He didn't say if you're loving, put a tail-off sticker on your Positively discouraging. Don't. That's not what he said. You know what he said? John 14 and 15. This is what he said. If you love me, if you love me keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. Now listen, I've talked to the talk. Oh, you believe us. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that they know we're Christians by the love we have one to another. Yes, that's the way the world knows that we're Christians because we love one another. Jesus said, I'm going to know you're a Christian because you do what I tell you to do. You keep my commandments. That woman, one time, take her Bible, thrust it in my face. Show me where I've got to obey this book. Well, here's a good start right here. Hallelujah. And she was supposed to be a Christian. 
She knew that she had to obey anything in the Bible. As long as she believed on Christ, that was all she had to do. None of this matters. Then why is it here? Why not just put John 3.16 on a parchment and pass it down to the generations? Because John 14.15 is crucial. We have not believed until we have obeyed. All right. I'm kind of taking some sidetracks here, but... Um, so God, God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in this world, and what? Received up into glory. And received up into glory. Now, there are three different ways that you can translate this phrase, received up into glory. Right? Three different ways, all of them valid. Um, and, and really, I think all of them applicable to what's being said here. First of all, received up could simply mean to take up. In other words, he was taken up into glory. Nobody can argue that. The Bible's clear that that happened. Acts 1 9. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and the cloud received him out of their sight. I think it's there. It's he, 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 Jesus Christ, was taken up. 1 Timothy 3.16, who was taken up? 1 Timothy 3.16, who was taken up? God was received up, or taken up, in the glory. Acts 29, it's Jesus who is being taken up into that's, that's valid. Can't argue that. Another way that you could interpret this phrase is to take up in order to use. The best way that I know to explain this phrase is, is when you hear someone say, take up arms. You know what that means? When they say, you know, you're going to have to take up arms, what does that mean? That means you're going to have to do something with it, right? You're taking up arms not just so you can parade around. This is not a showpiece. When you talk about taking up arms, you're talking about getting ready to fight. You're talking about putting these weapons to use. And so this phrase is not just simply taken up, but to take up but the purpose of using it. So, humanity, flesh, was taken up with a cross. There's a reason for it. What is that reason? First Timothy 2 and 5. For there is one God, God. and one mediator between God and man. And what is that mediator? The man Christ the Jesus. The man. The what? The man. the man Christ Jesus. That's the mediator. How can it be a mediator between God and man? I'll tell you how. Because he is both. Right, right. He's both God and man. So there was a purpose. And in fact, the role of sonship will one day cease. You know that? There's going to be a day when there will not be a son. This is what 1 Corinthians 15, verse 28 says. And when all things shall be subdued unto him. Everything's been subdued to him. 
Then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him. That God may be all in God. And how do we find God? How? That's right, say it again. So that the Spirit can be all in all. There's no need for that human form anymore. That day is yet to come. Now, the third, and in my opinion, perhaps the most beautiful interpretation of the original, where, where, where Paul says that he was received up into glory. I like this because when you look at it in the original Greek, you don't want to bog down Paul's, but to look at the form of a verb, it's really, it's really not just taking up, but to take to oneself. You understand why that would be a valid way to translate this? He wasn't just taken up into glory as if one man or one person in God reached down and picked up the other person in the Godhead. But he was taken to himself. In fact, let me show you something. Ephesians 1 and 20. I want you to get ready for this. To me, this is so beautiful. Ephesians 1 and 20. Now, our, the scriptures we wrote on the wall don't have the, the italics. Can you put your finger at 1 Timothy 3? And, and flip over to Ephesians 1, real quick, or put a little mark there. I want you to see it in your Bible because we don't have the italics. Now, before you do, I want to look at me. Before you get there, look at me. When you see italics in your King James Bible, what does that mean? It's what? Not in the original, right? Not in the original. It was added by the translators, right? They thought it helped to explain the verse. Right? Now, take a look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 20 and listen to what it says. You got it? Everybody got it? Say amen if you got it. Alright, listen. Which he wrought in Christ uh -huh. when he raised him up from the dead uh -huh. and set him at his own right hand in uh -huh. heavenly places. Alright, now, I see in this verse two words in the talents. Do you? Is that the way your Bible is printed? Two words in italics. What are those two words? Him and places. Let's take those two words out. Translate us from there. They're not in the original. Let's take those words out and see what we get. What we get is which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set at his own right hand in the the heavenly. He sat at his own right hand. Well, hallelujah. I kind of like that. He's not sitting on the right hand of another person. Right hand is a symbol of the power of God. So what's he doing? He's sitting at his own right hand. That's what he's doing. Because it's not a position. It's an empowerment. Do you understand that? I can't sit on my own right hand. I can't get on the right side of me or the left side of me. I'm me. 
It's not talking about a literal right hand. It's talking about this. When he was raised from the dead, what did he do? He sat at his own right hand. His own place of power. This was rightfully his. It was his from the beginning. It didn't belong to anybody else. It was not given to him by another person in the Godhead. It was his. And when he went up into glory with the golf, he sat at his own right hand. So, get down to the end of this verse. And, uh, It's not that I, you know, all this, I never did take it without, without controversy today. I'm just give you that. You can do it. Up and down. Um, let's talk about it here just a minute. Let's just take that up here again. One more time. I know it's not in the list that way, but without controversy. Those two words, without controversy. In the original, this one. The Greek word doesn't have a name, but it's homologous. H O M O. You understand that? That it, it is, and 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 really, in the way we get homosexual, homo means same. Homosexual. Means same sex. That's, that's what the word means. Homoluminos. What this is, it means the same opinion. Here's what Paul said. He said, without controversy, he said, there is only one opinion. There's only one. There's no debate in the church. There's no argument in the church. If there's an argument about how many persons in the Godhead, it's not going on in the church. Because in the church, there's only one opinion. And that opinion is that it was God the Spirit who was manifest in the flesh. That is the only opinion in the church. How about the words? There is only one opinion that is recognized in the kingdom of God. So, let me give you, having settled that, let me give you what we did revised, amplified, highly
He was openly proclaimed among the Gentiles. Many people were convinced of his lordship to the point of obedience. And he, as the Spirit, received his body into glory to use it in that role. That's what this verse tells us. Let me sum it all up for you. I think the Apostle Paul did it best as a musician's fellow. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. Best summary I know of right here. For in him, For in him dwelleth all the fullness. All fullness. Can we get that verse on the wall, please? Colossians 2 9. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the God here. It's all. It's all in him. The fullness of the Godhead is all in him. Anybody believe that in Can we stand and thank God for the glorious truth we know and love? I'm glad I know who Jesus is. I'm glad I don't think he's a second person. I'm glad I know who he is. He's not second, he's first. Matter of fact, he's first and last. And everything in between. He is the Lily of God and the Rose of Sharon. Nobody else can do that, but he can. Somebody say, how can he be both father and son? I'll tell you how. The same way he can be the high priest. And the sacrificial lamb. Right. Oh, hallelujah. That's how. The same way, the same way that he can be Alpha and Omega. The same way that he can be first and last. That's how. That's how. The same way that he can be the Lamb of God and the Lion of the tribe. That's how he can be father and son. Amen. I'm not talking about just anybody here. I'm talking about God. Amen. Let's love him tonight, can we? Come on, let's love him. I'm a living nurse. You're thankful for this one God, truth. Why don't you let him know tonight?